Exodus, but before we go to Exodus, we're going to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. I went outside this morning. No, I'm not going to sing. I know everybody's expecting that, but everybody's wanting me to sing, but I just can't do it today. Colossians chapter 2. I, I, I went out to my car this morning, and I thought, this is a great day for the beach. If you're a polar bear, if you're a polar bear, It'd be a great day for the beach. I uh, met a lady this week, doesn't like her preacher, said he's boring. She said, I've never seen his eyes. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, when he, he prays, he closes his, and when he preaches, we all close ours. I hope that's not what happens this morning. God is good. Colossians chapter 2 is where we're looking, and then we're going to go back over to Exodus chapter 4. Uh, Jesus tells us that Moses wrote the Pentateuch. And so we, we know that's true. Of course, we read the Pentateuch. We know Moses wrote it. Um, and uh, there's a section in the end where it records Moses' death. And our scholars, I say our scholars, believing scholars, tell us Joshua probably wrote the end of the book and then wrote the book of Joshua. And I thought that, that's great to have these godly men who, who can help us with those things. I love that. But I thought to myself this week, it wouldn't matter we wouldn't have needed Joshua because inspiration is a supernatural thing. Prophets can write of future things, including their own demise, their own death. And so we know that Moses wrote it. We're thankful for that extra help in, in that. But when we believe the Bible, we don't care. Uh, we, we care, but we, we don't worry if other people attack it because we know it stands the test of time. I mean, the Bible's been going for 4,000 years, the Old Testament. And amazing, and we still hold the Word of God in our hands. So wonderful to have that. But Moses just received assurance from God that his power was upon him. He's now 80, having spent 40 years in the Egyptian palace, 40 years herding sheep in the middle of the desert. Now, finally, he's going to home to reconnect with his friends, if he has any left, and his family what an exciting time. And we're going to read verses that you won't understand right now while we're, while we're reading them, but you'll understand in a few moments. Stand with me, if you will. Colossians 2.10 through 12. During our story today, we'll learn that God is unhappy because Moses did not circumcise one of his children. And I preached an entire series through Galatians telling you we don't need to be circumcised to be saved. But we still need circumcision. Not physical but spiritual, cutting away of the unnecessary, unnecessary things in our life. Let's read. I'm sorry. Verse 10. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also are ye circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And then this wonderful verse, buried with him in baptism. Did you know you were placed into Christ, buried with him? When you were saved, you were baptized by his spirit into the body of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein you also are risen with him through faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. God bless us as we take a look in your book for a walk in this cruel, ugly, evil world. We're weary of this world, Lord. We're like Abraham, tired of the journey, looking for the promised land. I don't think many people in this world are happy with the way the world's going, Lord, but you have an answer. Trust in you. 
your son Jesus Christ and will be taken from this world into a much better world. Bless now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now we're in verse 18, and Jethro, his father-in-law, says to him, one word translates to go in peace. It's the great Hebrew word that you all know, shalom. And that's the Hebrew text says, shalom, his father-in-law says. Go in peace. The great thing, Moses had respect for his elder. He asked him if it'd be okay, and he said, go in peace. And then in verses 19 to 21, the Lord says, Go, go back to Egypt. It's time to return. Yahweh says, go. And he gives Moses assurance that his enemies, in verse 19, are all dead. You don't have to worry about your enemies. Some had seen him kill an Egyptian. He doesn't need to worry about things. He needs to go back now. So in verse 20, he, with his sons and his wife, they decide to go back. Now, his sons and wife won't make it all the way back. Along the journey, a 700-mile journey, they'll stop at an inn. And we learn from chapter 18 that they had to go back uh, to Midian for some reasons. We're not sure of all the reasons. We'll learn today of a couple. But we know that they had to go back. He sends them back later. Now look at verse 21 in chapter uh, 4, verse 21 of Exodus. And I want you to take your pen and mark your Bibles. My pastor used to say, God gave you the Word of God on pages so you could mark it and underline it and highlight it and learn. And then later you'll turn back years later and say, I don't know what that verse means. Oh, there are notes. And you'll recall what you've been taught. Anyway, verse 21, And the Lord said unto Moses, Yahweh said unto Moses, When thou goest to return unto Egypt, see that. And then in the Hebrew Bible, from the word thou through the word hand, it's all in brackets. Now, what does that mean, Pastor? It's emphasized for us, a point of emphasis. He says, Thou do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine hand. He said, do what I told you, boy. Do what I said to do. Go back there and show the wonders of God, the signs as it's translated in your Old Testament, the wonders. Uh, we know it's translated several ways. Do those miracles, those signs, those wonders before Pharaoh. So before Pharaoh would ever get the ten plagues, he would already know that God is real. Because Moses is going back, and he's going to go back, and he's going to show him some of these signs. And he says here, Thou do all those wonders. And he says, I will not harden his heart that he shall not let, he said, but I will harden his heart that he shall not let the people go. And this can be confusing to the young believer because ten times it says Pharaoh hardened his heart, and ten times in these next several chapters it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And so we wonder what all that means. Uh, you know, we go back to Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to go to several passages today. If we don't make it through our text, it's okay. We can finish next week. But Ephesians chapter 1, here are verses that often confuse people. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, According as he hath chosen us in him. And that's Boy, that's sometimes confusing for people. God's chosen us. Look at chapter 1, Ephesians 1, 4, then 1, 5. Having predestined us. Are we predestined? The Bible said we're predestined. Are we chosen? The Bible says we're chosen. And this confuses people. So today we need to pause and explain why Pharaoh would harden his heart and why God would harden Pharaoh's heart. And we understand. We, and we're going to look at this carefully today. Uh, look over at 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. The word hard means to make dull or insensible. 
And boy, he was a hard-hearted man, wasn't he? And we can be that way sometimes as well. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse uh, 25. I want you to see this because well, all the talk out there today, and it's kind of a new trend. In Baptist churches, a lot of them are starting to teach that, you know, we don't have a choice in the matter. God's chosen us, we, and he died only for the elect. And there's some things out there that cause confusion. So I want you to understand what Scripture says and teaches, and that can help you if you become confused with new teachings. But here it says in uh, chapter 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25, notice it says here, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God pre-adventure, notice the word pre, we're predestined, here's pre-adventure, will give them repentance. Interesting. God gives us repentance. God and his foreknowledge. And, and that's something you need to understand. Did it ever occur to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? He knows it all. Did you know that he knows the future of everyone sitting here today? Did you know he knew your future before the foundation of the world, before he even created this world and this awesome solar system? He knew every decision we'd make. He knew what your heart would be. In fact, he knew the day you'd repent. Why? Because he's God. And I, you know, the Arminianist is, is uh, you know, so far to the opposite of the Calvinist. The Arminianist says, you just, all you have to do is pray and receive Jesus. And, and that sounds easy and good, and that's partially true. But let me tell you, Scripture says the Holy Spirit has to draw you to God. When God reached way down to save me, he sent his spirit to make me feel terrible about my sin. I could not have been saved by just saying, I'm going to get saved today. No, no, no. I had to realize what I was. And the Holy Spirit of God, as a young kid, 12 years old, said, you're rotten. And he made me feel rotten. And I realized I was a rotten person. He said, you need to be saved. When I recognize because of God's work of repentance in my heart, you know, we can't do anything without God. When he brought me to that place and reached way down and convicted me and showed me what I was, I'm now ready. Why? I realize how rotten I am. I realize I'm going to go to hell. I am now to the place where I can repent and receive Jesus. It was entirely God that saved me. So you see, that those that say, well, you don't have any say in the matter, and those that say it's entirely your matter, both wrong. It's sort of like if we had a big sign here, whosoever will may enter in. We'd say, well, I can go in. And when I walked in and I looked back, it said, you were chosen before the foundation of the world. These things work together. Notice 2 Samuel here. 2 Samuel 23. 2 Samuel chapter 23. And I talking to Frank about this verse last week. Actually, we're in first, go to 1 Samuel chapter 23. I apologize. 1 Samuel 23. And again, mark your Bible. This is interesting. 1 Samuel chapter 23 and verse 12. <clears throat> David's praying to God, and David says to the Lord, 
Then said David, Will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will deliver thee up. God knew beforehand. You know, God will quite often tell a judge, Go into battle and you're going to win. Did the judge have to still go into battle? Yes. Yes. He had to go to battle. Still had to obey and go do what God told him to do. God knew before the foundation of the world I'd be saved, but he also knew I'd repent. And I had to repent. Uh, you, if you don't repent, you shall all likewise perish. But the book Acts says. No one can come to God without being under conviction of sin. And it's not just something that happens here. There's a little 18 inches between your head and your heart. A lot of people know about God and know even about salvation that have never repented. And when the Holy Spirit deals with you, if you're here this morning and he's dealing with you and you realize you're lost and you realize you need to repent, now is the day of salvation. God's made it clear to you by his Holy Spirit that you're lost. Now you need to do something about it. Submit to God. Say, God, I'm lost. I realize that, that I'm lost. And so we understand Pharaoh hardened his heart, yet God hardened his heart. Look back uh, to Proverbs chapter 21. This is interesting. You see, everything is God's timing, God's plan. God has a plan for this whole universe. He's had this plan in operation since day one. Since, since Adam and Eve fell, God put this plan into motion, the plan of redemption. One day he's going to redeem this world. Right now, even the, even the earth's unhappy. The lion can't lay down with a lamb. The thorns and thistles are on the rose bushes. All of creation groans waiting for God to come and redeem it. Our bodies groan waiting for God to come and redeem it. But in our lives, redemption starts with repentance and faith, and later the body will finally be redeemed. But God's plan, look what it says in 21.1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithsoever he will. God's working his plan. He, he knows Pharaoh's lost, and he knows Pharaoh will not repent. Why? Because he knows it all. And he's working his plan to perfection. He knows he'll harden his heart for the first five plagues. And then he's probably getting a little weary of standing up against God, but God's timing is part of all this. And God will allow him to make a decision to release the Jews in God's timing. Did you know God knew the day I'd be saved? Huh? Did, he, did you know God knew you'd be here today? He even knew what I'd say today. Probably sometimes he's like, well, the old boy's going to say this and that today. And I thank God he helps me along. But God is all-knowing, and he works everything out to his purpose. And, and so I, I also say this to those that believe that, you know, he only died for the elect. Look at 1 John 2.2. 2. 1 John 2.2, 2, because that's a teaching that, you know, when I was a kid, we were raised on that kind of teaching, but we left in the Christian Reformed Church. Great church, great people. Don't get me wrong. They love the Lord. I'm not attacking uh, different denominations this morning. I'm teaching, preaching Bible truth. And 1 John 2, 2, he is the propitiation for our sins, John says. And not 
for ours only, but also for the sins of what? The whole world. Did God just die for me? No, he died for all sinners of all time. That's a sound teaching in the Bible. You've got to throw John 3.16 out. For God so loved the... Oh, it says there, you've got a bad translation. It says, for God so loved just Dan Mao. It doesn't say that. He loved the world. He had compassion for the lost. Jesus looked out over Jerusalem and wept because there were sheep without a shepherd. Now back to Exodus. We also, uh, several more passages we'll go to this morning. I really want to just totally have you leave here today and understand how God manipulates kings, how he even manip manipulates you and I. He gives us choices, but he also knows how we'll choose. It's, it's, it's wonderful to know he's in that much control. But in 927, Exodus 9:27, read a couple more verses. Did you know God says, I'll, I'll, I'll quote another verse, and you can write this down, 2 Peter 3, 9, God is not willing that any should perish. He didn't want anybody to perish, but that all should come to repentance. But here we find a great verse here in, in 9, 27 and, and 34. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said unto them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and I, my people, are wicked. Verse 34. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more. He kept hardening his heart. Well, the judgment's over. I guess I, I don't have to obey God anymore. Not until after the sixth plague, plague did God harden his heart. The first fly, five, he hardened his own heart. Now look at Romans chapter 9. You say, preacher, we're doing a lot of traveling this morning. Let your fingers do the walk in the old Bell South ad said. Romans chapter 9. Sometimes it's necessary just to pause and, and share some scriptures and teach. Had a fellow this week come to me and says, well, I like preaching more than teaching. And I said, they're the same thing. You know, he, he wants us, he, you know, we're made up of intellect, emotions, will. You understand that all of us have intellect. We need to learn. We all have emotions. We love to be stirred like the music stirs us. And we all have a will that needs to be challenged. I used to love Dr. Robson. He always challenged my will. You need to witness more. You need to pray more. Right down the line, not to the right, not to the left. I love that my will was challenged. And then they'd have a guy by the name of Phillips come in Great teacher, monotone, just taught. This word means this, this Greek word's this, this is this. And you'd sit there and you'd mark your Bible, but you didn't stay awake as much as under Dr. Robertson because he's stepping all over your toes. And then you have a guy come in and takes the pulpit and uses it as a machine gun. He stirs your emotion. He gets everybody worked up. We're all different. But we're all made up of intellect, emotions, and will. Sometimes some of you say, oh, I like it, preacher, when you get down and hard like that. And others say to me, I like it when, you know, I can learn something and mark my Bible. We're all different, but I had to explain that preaching, there's three Greek words here I am teaching. One is the evangelial, which is evangelize. Number two is to proclaim the gospel, just to proclaim. 
And the third one means to herald, like spread the news on the Miami Herald. So you see, nowhere does it say hoot and holler and run the aisles. That's a style, and that's great. I like that sometimes. That's a style. That, that's not what preaching means. Find Jesus doing that. He's in the Beatitudes, and what does he do? This is Jesus. I'm not Jesus. A little big, a little sinful. He sat down. See? So preaching means to proclaim, to evangelize. And the Bible says the pastors to be a teacher, they're one and the same, the pastor-teacher. And a pastor is to be apt to teach. And Jesus was a rabbi, which is a teacher. So this morning we're teaching. I should, I'm, not, I'm not excusing, it shouldn't have to. But you have to learn in church for you to grow. You see, to stir you up with worn-out slogans, and some of them aren't worn out, but just to always motivate you like that, and you don't have anything to mark in your Bible, anything to carry out with you, all that excitement is gone when you get in your car and drive down the road and somebody pulls out in front of you. You're not shouting anymore except at the other driver. So we have to learn the Word, you know, and you can search that in your Scriptures. Whenever you're learning, you're growing. And now Romans chapter 9 and verse 17. Love, love this verse. He says, For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout the earth. God is using this sinful Pharaoh to display his power to speak to all of Egypt and all of Israel, and all the world would hear about this. So how do you know that? Joshua tells us when they crossed the Red Sea and they came in, all the nations were afraid. They'd heard. They'd heard all about this God that could part the Red Sea. God is manipulating his man. Pharaoh's lost. We believe he went to hell. The Egyptians actually believed that if you confessed your sin, admitted doing wrong that you be judged by the gods. Now remember, they were polytheists. Poly means many. Theist means God. Many gods. We're monotheists. We believe in one God, one way, one Jesus. I don't care what this world says. Oh, there's many ways. Baloney. Malarkey. Heresy, we should say. There's only one way. That's through Jesus Christ. The way, the truth, and the life. Definite articles. The, the, and the. It's him. No other way. Walvert also tells us, I love John Walvert on eschatology, he says that the Egyptians would take a scarab beetle. When someone died, they'd open them up, this is weird, and put the beetle on their heart. And then they would determine the fate of that soul, or that spirit, I should say, by what that beetle does with the heart. Talk about nuts. You know, the world thinks we're nuts, and now we're hearing all this stuff on the radio about demons. And uh, not demons, aliens. Oh, aliens and pilots see flashes and, and everybody's seeing aliens, all this alien stuff. And uh, one new age person said, uh, millions of people are going to be gone because aliens are going to start taking people away. That's the devil's way to prepare for the rapture. When we're gone, they have to have an answer. And there are demons. You say, what are all these things going on, preacher? All these unidentified, they're all demons, I'm telling you, or angels. The Bible makes it clear they're out there. They can even appear as people. But boy, there's always the enemy's argument. And, and uh, you know, the polytheists, they have all these gods. And, and how could they miss 
the obvious that there's one God. And now in verse 22, the Lord says, let my son go. Let my son go. We're back now in Exodus. Let my son go. Referring to Israel, God's pride and joy. Israel is the chosen son, the firstborn. And then verse 23, now Pharaoh is warned and the Exodus is envisioned. Look at verse 23 of chapter 4. And I say unto thee, let my son go that he may serve me. And if I thou... if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. Even before the plagues, God's warned him. I'm God, and you'll do what I say, buster. And one day, there's going to be an accounting. Think of all the people in this world who God has spoken to and convicted that rejected God. Think of all the people that knew God. Think of all the people that purposely preached false doctrine for money. Filthy lucre, as Scripture calls it. Turn on my TV this morning, and every time this guy is on there, every time he's saying, I'll give you Scriptures, I can make a millionaire out of you. You give to our ministry, I'll make you a millionaire. His ministry is all about making people millionaires. They give him money, and he promises they're going to be rich. That's all phony baloney. It's false teaching. Poverty is sometimes part of the Christian experience, isn't it? Well, I couldn't have taken that teaching much when I was a young married man, barely hanging on, you know. Well, wait a minute, I'm going to give to this guy all my money and he'll make me rich. Well, the widow had one might. She gave it all. Never found her rich. Plenty of examples, and I'm off the subject. Back here now to verses 23 and 24. Here, Pharaoh sees the plan. Then God says, then God says here, or the Lord says to Moses, I'm going to let you go. Now, this is interesting. One of the most challenging portions of this passage is right here. Because the context changes from Pharaoh to Moses. And it came to pass, by the way, in the inn they were traveling, they had stopped, that the Lord, Yahweh, met him and sought to kill him. Who? Moses. Now we're talking about Moses. And this is difficult to interpret. Some people don't understand this. God is... Uh, upset with Moses, and we know by the next verse why. Then Zephora, his wife, <clears throat> she takes a knife, sharp stone really, and cut off the foreskin of her son, and cast it at his feet, at Moses' feet, and said, Surely a bloody husband art to me. What happened here, Pastor? Well, evidently Moses did not circumcise his second-born son. He did his firstborn, but not his second-born. And God is angry. Remember back in Genesis, God said to Abraham, every Jew is to be circumcised. Now, that's a paraphrase. On the eighth day, you circumcise all your baby boys. And if, if you didn't and you're an adult, you still need to be circumcised, or God's angry. Do you know what, folks? We read the opening verses. For those of you that think salvation is just a whim and a prayer, and you just boom, 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 and everything's right, and you just live how you want to live, I have news for you. If you're not circumcised, you need to be. If you're not circumcised, you're in sin. And if you don't put away the things of the past, you're going to answer to an angry God because God still hates sin. And he chastens us. He chastens his believers. If Alex over here gets saved, I know he's saved, but if Alex, and I'm not picking on you, Alex, you're a good kid, but if Alex goes along and falls into sin, just keeps sinning and sinning, what's going to happen? God's going to turn him over his knee and whip him. Yeah. How many of you understand that? How many of you have been there and done that? God chastened his own. I'm not picking on Alex. 
His parents probably did spank him plenty. But our Heavenly Father spanks us. And if you're not spiritually circumcised, you haven't gotten rid of that junk in your life, it's time you cut it off. and Get rid of it and live for God. Make an attempt to live for God. Work righteousness, the Bible says, not for salvation because you're saved. Now, somewhere during this journey, Moses sends his family back. And we, we know that by Scripture later that he sent them back. Maybe it's because of this episode Moses is about to die because he hadn't circumcised his son and his wife angrily circumcises his son and, and makes this big demonstration of her disappointment with Moses. He should have done right in the first place and this wouldn't have happened. Are you circumcised today? And I don't mean physically. No one's ever been saved by circumcision, but spiritual circumcision is a necessity in every life. So now the Lord tells Aaron to go meet Moses. I love this last section. I imagine how exciting it was. Let me read you something out of the Babylonian Talmud. The Talmud was a collection of debates and uh, so forth based on the Torah. And the Jews would write these debates and these arguments down about what the law meant. It's not inspired scripture, but I find this interesting. In the Talmud, I can tell you the page and what section it's in, but it says every father is obligated regarding his son to do several things. Number one, circumcise him on the eighth day. We know that. Number two, redeem him. They would take silver and, and give an offering to God to redeem their son. Now, we could make an application to redemption today. We need to be bought back, and God, Jesus Christ, has paid the price. But I didn't read this for that. Third, to teach him the Torah. Fourth, to get him married. And fifth, to teach him a trade. Now, they had five things that the Jewish man had to teach his son. They've done a good job. The problem with the Jews is they miss the obvious. Jesus saves. He was the one. And they missed that. They still a lot of times follow the Torah, but they missed this. But the Lord says to Aaron, go meet Moses. What a thrill this must, must be as Moses and Aaron meet. And then Aaron goes ahead back and he talks to the 70 elders of Israel and tells them, my brother's coming. He's the one. He's going to lead us. He's going he's to be our leader. We've got to support him. And the elders accepted Moses. God said they would. They did. Later, they give him a hard time, chapter 5. But we know that Aaron was a great spokesperson and a real help to Moses during this time. They'd criticize him later, but accepted him. And I love how uh, Moses goes, and he's, he's starting to realize that God's going to use him. I wrote down a note here, and this has been a good note for me. Never fix my hope on the reaction of people, but on the reality of what God says. When I preach his word, I'm not, I, I can't worry about what you think and if you're upset with me. I have to preach this word without compromise. And let the chips fall where they may. Sometimes when you're preaching and you're in the middle of a thought, and you didn't pre-plan this, foreordain this, and you're preaching and you're, you're preaching to get some sin and you make eye contact, they think, oh, oh that, that person may be struggling with that. And then you have to back up and say, wait a minute, I didn't plan to pick on someone, but I have to finish what I was preaching because you're called to do it. I don't ever want to uh, be like some who are so abrasive and rude in the pulpit, but I always want to preach the truth. Preach it in love. A and we know that God's Word is everything to us. Our whole church is based on it. And I love it because Moses 
is accepted. I want to ask you several questions and we'll close. First of all, are you cut off from the world? Do you love the things of the world? Love not the world, neither the things of the world. Have you cut those things off in your life? Have you made a conscious effort to take a stand for Jesus? You see, from 12 to 19, I didn't live for God. I was a coward. I wasn't spiritually circumcised. God was circumcising me spiritually, but I wasn't giving in so easy. And finally, one day, I just said, I'm done with this. I'm going to live for God. When I made that decision, God helped me to get rid of those things in my life. He's still working on me. I'm 66, and he's still working on me. Not finished with me yet. He's still having to tweak things and still help me cut off some things, get rid of some things. My question, are you spiritually circumcised? Have you come to the place in your life where you said, I'm not going to love the world anymore? And I don't care. My house is not all that matters. My car is not more important than souls. I'll be to heaven and all this stuff will be gone. Are you willing to follow the Lord like Moses? And he said, go. Many say, well, I'll go to the foreign field, but want, you know, it won't witness to their co-worker. I don't know how many people say things like that to me. Well, I want to go and be a missionary. If they don't witness to their neighbors and their friends. How are you going to be a missionary if you're not one right now where you are? God placed you right there. Get involved in God's work. Cut off these things. Get rid of these things. Make a decision to be circumcised for God, to follow God, to live for God, to stand up to the pharaohs of the world, to do the right thing. Thank God for Jesus this morning. God, we ask you to bless us as we close in prayer. As we, Lord, attempt to live for you, maybe our attempts are futile, but you recognize our heart. And when you see that we really want to live for you, you start to open up doors and bless and make changes. God, I want to finish well. I know I say that to you all the time. It's me again saying the same thing again. I want to finish my life well. I don't want to be a casualty. I don't want to be a preacher that falls and is out of the ministry, embarrassed, and families ashamed of. I, I don't want to hurt people. And I know there's folks here that want to finish well. But Lord, maybe there's someone here who's not saved, and I pray this morning that you'll save that soul. And maybe there's someone here who's not spiritually circumcised. They don't yield to you. They yield to their old flesh and their old nature. I pray you'll speak to that heart. With heads closed, closed and eyes, I mean eyes closed and heads bowed, Lift up your hand. If you say this morning, Pastor, I do not know Jesus. I'm not saved. I've never repented. Just slip your hand up if that's the case. No hands have gone up. God, I just pray. I know, God, that you guided me to preach this series. And I know you're here this morning. And I know you're working in hearts. And so I just thank you for your work in our hearts. Bless now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.